I'm Misty Winkler, and you're listening to the Convivial Homeschool Audio Blog, Episode 70. Welcome to another season of Short But Meaty Focus Sessions to help you keep your head in the game as a homeschooling mom. Convivial is really another way of saying school A. It gets at the heart of what we want, a holistic education that reaches the soul as well as the brain, that brings peace rather than stress and that directs our attention to what is true, good, and beautiful. This season, we'll spend more time learning what the ancients and early church fathers had to say about education, because we should be standing on the shoulders of these giants, rather than making it up as we go along. So let's dig in. What would classical preschool look like? Quintilian on books and twaddle. Quintilian, an education philosopher of the first century AD, has much to say about the bringing up of children. His educational philosophy does not begin when they enter school, but when they first start forming their first words and their first thoughts. Today's excerpt from The Great Tradition, Classical Readings on What It Means to Be an Educated Human Being, summarizes what Quintilian had to say about what we would call preschool and kindergarten. And it will probably rub you the wrong way no matter what you do with your young ones. Let's dig in. Education is a life, and life does not begin at seven. From the time a child is handed over to the care of a nurse, Quintilian said care must be taken about the kind of nurse and other companions the child has, for he will learn by imitation, imitation of speech, manners, and character. If possible, he says, the father and mother and everyone who daily interacts with the child should be educated, so that the child is surrounded by correct language usage and good breeding. Education is an atmosphere. But then he turns to the proper age for beginning formal schooling, and at first I was taken aback. He argues that because learning is cumulative, the earlier you start, the more you'll get. I do not know what the common school practices were for his time, but I gather from his comments that boys were sent to school at seven, having received no reading instruction whatsoever. He would prefer phonics and beginning handwriting and letter learning to begin earlier than that. Most of us would agree. (laughs) He advises, quote, let us not therefore waste the earliest years. After all, quote, his mind must be occupied somehow or another. And those who want to postpone any formal instruction until age seven, he argues, seem to have ulterior motives. Quote, those who disagree with me seem in taking this line to spare the teacher rather than the pupil. Instead, quote, those, however, who hold that a child's mind should not be allowed to lie fallow for a moment are wiser. But what does he mean when he talks of not wasting early years or letting a child's mind lie fallow? Does he want five-year-olds to attend school, to be taught formal lessons and learn material and be tested on it? What is not a waste of the early years? What is education? On that quintillion is clear. He is speaking of a literary education, an education full of good books, good words, and good ideas. Quote, Why, again, since children are capable of moral training, should they not be capable of literary education? He might even be proposing some sort of poll parrot program. Quote, 
The elements of literary training are solely a question of memory, which not only exists even in small children, but is especially retentive at that age. But when looking at the big picture of his argument, and not merely at this single sentence, it's clear that Quintilian does not intend that we have kindergartners memorize long strings of facts. What is worth remembering, of putting in the memory? Literary ideas. He uses literary multiple times. One almost wonders if Charlotte Mason read this essay. Hint, she did. Quintilian wants young children to be exposed to literary thought and a literary quality because they are naturally receptive and retentive at this age. So what they are exposed to will matter for the entire course of their life. He makes sure to clarify his position, quote, I am not, however, so blind to the differences of age as to think that the very young should be forced or prematurely given real work to do. The student under seven, then, should not be made to do schoolwork, but his environment should be rich and literary. There should be alphabet toys and lots of stories. When he holds a pencil, he should be shown how to do so correctly, but he should not have to sit down to formal lessons and be made to learn particular things. Quote, Above all, we must take care that the child, who is not yet old enough to love his studies, does not come to hate them. What we want is a child who knows and loves words. After all, what matters is how much he cares and how many things he cares about. Quintilian doesn't outright say that, but it is a natural conclusion and application of his argument. We should not hold young children back, but we should also not push them forward. Quote, you will hardly believe how much reading is delayed by undue haste. If the child attempts more than his powers allow, the inevitable result is hesitation, interruption, and repetition, and the mistakes which he makes merely lead him to lose confidence in what he already knows. Rather, we should take our children's nature into account. Quote, Small children are better adapted for taking in small things, and just as the body can only be trained to certain flexions of the limbs while it is young and supple, so the acquisition of strength makes the mind offer greater resistance to the acquisition of most subjects of knowledge. So the pole parrot stage is not a time to cram facts and chance, but a time to build habits and dispositions that will help him advance more surely and steadily when he does take to his books. For our young ones, we should notice and capitalize on the fact that they love to learn. Quote, the sight handling and naming of which is a pleasure. Let us bring up our children from birth in a loving and literary atmosphere. That is the classical approach. That is our young students, but what about teachers? Guess what? People have known what's important in teachers and the student-teacher relationship for a very long time. We should listen. The teacher's talk and temper must be tranquil. So Quintilian wants us to know that it's important what kind of teacher we give our children over to. Do we think that it matters less because the teacher is us? No, if we choose to be the teachers ourselves, we must also choose to be the sort of person we would entrust our children to. 
Quote, nor is it sufficient that he should merely set an example of the highest personal self-control. He must also be able to govern the behavior of his pupils by the strictness of his discipline. First, self-control, then discipline. In the previous section, Quintilian clarified that by discipline, he means setting expectations and seeing that standards are met, which should be done by character and consequence, not by beatings. He goes over many reasons why physical discipline over learning, or lack thereof, doesn't work and shouldn't be used. Quote, Let him adopt, therefore, a parental attitude to his pupils. Well, at least there we start with some advantage. Quote, Let him be free from vice himself and refuse to tolerate it in others. Aye, there's the rub. Quote, Let him be strict, but not austere. Genial, but not too familiar, for austerity will make him unpopular, while familiarity breeds contempt. Each of us probably leans more one way than the other. We're to be able to draw the line and hold the line, but with a smile and an unflappable demeanor. That's a tough balance to walk, but it's the standard we should be aiming at, even if we seem to careen first towards one ditch and then the other. Quote, He must control his temper without, however, shutting his eyes to faults requiring correction. His instruction must be free from affectation, his industry great, his demands on his class continuous, but not extravagant. Well, my class certainly thinks that my demands are continuous, so maybe I'm on to something after all. Guess what? It's tiring to have continuous demands and great industry and free and easy instruction. We've got to budget in the rest and renewal so we have what it takes to stay in it for the long haul. Lest we say this is too difficult for us, Quintilian says, That is only an excuse for people who don't want to put in the effort and time for a life worth living, but would rather spend their days in idleness or worldly gain. If we, however, love the work and want its fruits, we'll keep plugging away, intentionally making choices that further our aim. And now it's time for this season's Simple Sanity Saver, Math Tips. It's possible to wing math in the early years. But because math is a consecutive skill where one concept builds upon another, it's best to choose a program and stick with it. Different programs use different vocabularies. Different programs teach concepts in different orders, though still different logical step-by-step orders. So skipping around between programs can lead to gaps and confusion more than in any other subject. In the last decade of sticking with the same program and walking with five students through the process, these are my top five tips for using and organizing with Matthew C. Matthew C. Tip number two, reserved crayons. In the primer and alpha lesson, kids do quite a bit of coloring with their math. As they use the blocks in these first few lessons, they're supposed to color the blocks the right color so they get familiar with them. With my first students, we hunted through the crayon bin every time, with my son constantly asking, is this color okay? Is this close? When I ordered primer for my third student, knowing that I had at least two more after her, I got smart and handpicked and set aside particular crayons. I pulled out the colors that best matched the blocks and stuck them in a small container that lives in our math book bin. 
Now, when my fifth student sits down to her lesson page, she pulls out that same little box with the same crayons, with the same 10 crayons, and it's clear which color she should choose. No matter which math program you pick, having your supplies ready and at hand makes it smoother and easier to just get started in your homeschool day. And that's it for this episode of the Convivial Homeschool Audio Blog. Are you interested in homeschooling with clarity, calm, and conviction? I know you are. I am too. So let's do it together. I've created a quick, heart-focused mini-workshop called Get a Grip and a Game Face. It's free, and it's the perfect way to start off your homeschool year. Head on over to simplyconvivial.com audio, click on Season 12, and access the free workshop. Remember, education begins with repentance. Repent. Rejoice. Repeat. Repeat.